everybody, and welcome back to another episode of East Screen, West Screen. It is Wednesday, March 3rd, 2010, and this is episode 21. Once again, I'm Paul Fox. And I'm Kevin. Finally get to do a weird middle name again, Ma. And we are here to talk to you about the latest in film news from Hong Kong, Asia, and around the world. So, Kevin, what's up with you? Um, not much, just the usual, you know, school and uh, getting ready for the film festival. Yeah, the um, film festivals, uh, I, I, they're selling tickets now, as I take it, is that correct? Yep, the schedule was revealed last Thursday and uh, tickets went on sale three days later. But we'll talk about um, my picks and I don't know if you looked over the schedule, so maybe we'll talk about some of your picks as well, Paul, a little bit later. Yeah, yeah, we'll get to that a little bit later, but first, some news. <laughs> All right, our first little news segment is some news about the Donnie Yen film Ip Man 2. Uh, release date has been set as uh, what looks like April 29th right now. You excited about this news, Kevin? Um, you know, it would be fun to watch, but um, I'm not particularly excited. I'm sure a lot of people are excited. People in Hong Kong are um, quite uh, excited about that teaser that came out. Uh, we saw that last week at the theater. Um, and uh, I think the first film uh, got a lot of acclaim here. Um, so I'm sure a lot of people will be excited about what, what can Donnie do with uh, Samuel Hong. I've got to say, I'm a, I'm a little bit more excited about this film, given that the narrative is going to be taking place in Hong Kong. I'm hoping that it will be far removed from a lot of sort of nationalistic messages as we had in the first one. Um mm-hmm. I may be well, wrong about did, that, but yeah. yeah, they did promise to uh, amp everything up, including including the action. So maybe the nationalism is also in the two. Yeah, well, we're getting a little bit of a um, SPL redo here, right? Because we've got Donnie facing off with uh, Sammo Hung once again. Yes, yes, and uh, apparently we might get to see uh, uh, Bruce Lee in this film as well. Yeah, um, so that'll be exciting. And is is Aaron Aaron Kwok in this? Uh, no, but around that same time, well, Aaron and, um, I'm sorry, let me think of the other one. Uh, there are two movies that was supposed to come out around that time. Um, one of them is Aaron Kwok's film, uh, directed by Benny Chan. And, oh, the other is, uh, Triple Tap, the new Derek E film. Uh, yes. Both of which have now, uh, have to move out of the way because of It Man 2. Because It Man 2 is being released for uh, the May 1st holiday, uh, in China and in Hong Kong. So they're they're probably looking for big big weekend take, and that kind of scared off the other two films. Hmm. So well, is it? Do you think? Do you think it's any worth anything worth being scared of, Paul? Well, you, you know, it's, gonna pull up? it's you know, if people are being more cautious with their movie spending, um, you know, who can say? It? I think it really is going to come down to: is it a good movie? Is it going to pull people into the theaters or not? Um, I wasn't really impressed with the poster. Got a chance to see the teaser poster, and it's just. As I was saying to some of the guys last week, it looks like Donnie, you know, as Ipman sort of like passed out in a corner, you just see his head like sticking up from the bottom of the poster. I I posted, I, I tried to snap off a quick picture and posted over on Twitter. There's just not a whole lot to see there. Um, I think hopefully that's not the finalized poster because it's not really that exciting to look at. It doesn't really, you know, scream Ipman or action or make you want to go into the cinema. Yeah, it looks like Donnie trying to to become a TVB pop star, except he's doing a video in the 80s, yeah. and he's against the wall singing. <laughs> All right, well, our next bit of news uh, coming from the FilmBiz.Asia site that uh, Kevin mentioned last week. 
Um, Hong Kong super, superstar Stephen Chow is going to become a CEO. He is going to be taking over the reins of MCOM International. Um, so what do you think about this, Kevin? I think Mr. Chow's got the chops for uh, CEO-hood. Well, it was, I don't think it's the first time um, he's been CEO, except um, his company, Star Overseas Group, was, wasn't was a listed company. It was a, his own production company. Um, but yeah, you're right. This is, this is the big step into um, taking Stephen Chow, the businessman. Um, it, it's not something related to films, right? It's, uh, it's an animation Yeah, firm they're, they're doing a, like yeah. an animated CJ7 and... Um, apparently, I've I've read elsewhere and in a couple other articles. I'll see if I can try and dig up the links. But he's claiming he's making claims that he sort of wants to ramp up, you know, the the interconnections between film and entertainment and things. I guess much in the same way that that Disney and other companies do in the West to try and really get you know China primed as as an entertainment house, which I think could be an interesting you know an interesting approach. We'll just have to see. If he's able to work within the system to well enough to produce some quality material, I'm not particularly excited about a CJ7 animation. You know, I hope that this is not a case of he's of him backing off of of you know doing uh, other film projects because he's going to be so busy sort of managing this company. But we'll have to wait and see. It does mention that he's going to be um, doing a U.S. film called Tai Chi. Mm-hmm. With uh, Jack Black and Anne Hathaway, so we'll have to keep an eye, keep an eye out for that. Hopefully, it won't go the way of the Green Hornet. What are you doing here? I might ask you the same question. Pursuing the enemies of law and order wherever they happen to be. Aren't you in the wrong city? On special assignment for the Daily Sentinel. You know my aide, Cato. Robin, the boy wonder. Well, I don't want to hold you up from your crime fighting. Thank you, and good luck to you, Mr. Hornet. Nice to have met you. Gosh, Batman, what are they dressed like that for? Our next bit of news, just a brief mention of the the little controversy coming out of the Oscars. Um, the film The Hurt Locker uh, is, is getting some very good press, and apparently one of the producers, however, thought the press wasn't quite enough, apparently sent some emails out to some um, Academy members, I guess, and asking them to support his film, it not being a huge, you know, um, with with not having the massive budget that something like Avatar had. And I guess that broke some of the Academy rules, and so he, is, he has been barred from uh, Oscar night. What do, what do you think about this, Kevin? Is there any is there any worse crime one can commit, sending a few emails and then getting barred? Do you think he's done in the industry? <laughs> Well, I mean, a lot of people do this. You see a lot of these uh, for consideration ads and things like that on every website. The only thing he did was he made sort of a, an indirect uh, stat jab at a $500 million movie that has, what, like 11 nominations. It's just, it's, trying, it's an underdog film, and it needs all the help you can get. But is it right to, to do it? I wouldn't say it's right, but is it really bad enough to get him barred from the Oscars? I I don't. Think, I think that's kind of an overreaction. What do you think, Paul? Well, yeah. I mean, uh, I I think that if he if there are some legit legitimate rules in place and he, it was very obvious that he broke them, you know, and and that that's sort of the consequence. Then okay, yeah. Um, but uh, you know, I it's it's from the outside looking in, 
it's a little bit of a sort of a nitpicky kind of a thing. But, you know, this is this is what the Oscars are all about. You know, this is sort of the polit the politics and the infighting and a lot of that stuff that goes on, which is one of the reasons I, in particular, don't give a hoot about award shows or ceremonies. I've I don't think I've watched an Oscar uh, ceremony for since I've been in Hong Kong. Um, and I'm, I'm equally unimpressed by, you know, the Hong Kong Film Awards in particular. It's just, I don't know, so self-congratulatory. And it's such an inside kind of a thing. And, and you know, I, it's not the film industry that's alone in doing this. Every industry does this. You know, you could be in the, you know, shower cap making industry and they'll have the annual shower cap making awards or something. And, you know, they'd be, be, be a big gala affair. But I think I for me, I just rather spend my time watching some something else, wake up the next day, pick up the paper, you know, see who won which awards and then go have some coffee with friends and talk about it. So I guess you don't have any picks for the Oscars this year. Um, not really. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm the geek in me would like to see Avatar win something, but mm -hmm. the sort of the film critic in me doesn't think it's that great of a film to win something like Best Picture. So mm -hmm. you know, I'm hoping that it sweeps the technical awards. If it did win Best Picture, the geek side of me would be jumping up for joy because hey, here's a science fiction movie. That's finally, you know, getting some credit. But yeah, it's kind of hard for me to. It's like half of me can't really root for it because the narrative is, as we've talked about, you know, on a previous show, the narrative's just not there. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, what do you think, Kev? About uh, the Oscar picks or yeah. the? Do you, do you um, have anything you're rooting for? I've seen most of the films, um, and I quite like the Heart Hurt Locker. Um, Although I'm 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 kind of secretly rooting for Up as well because I think Up is the strongest film out of all the ten nominees, even though um, it has an inher inherent uh, weakness as an animated film. So that kind of puts it at a weaker position. But I think Up, really out of the ten so far, I think is really the best. All there as a as, as all the aspects is the best of the of the ten. I think. Yeah. What do you think about this? You know, them opening up and expanding the category to to so many films now. Do you think that's that's good for the category, or do you think that ultimately is going to be harmful? I think it's harmful. I mean, I know they're doing it to attract ratings because uh, in the past years, their final nominees haven't been um, big box office hits. And this whole 10 picture thing is really just to get ratings. And I think it's ridiculous because if I want a top 10 list, I can find it on any other critics list. I don't need to look at the Oscar nominations for that. Yeah. The whole thing about the Oscar nominations is that you find it, it's, it's supposed to be hard to get a best picture nomination you know that's why they have five it won't and and it's not really and it just kind of opens up uh, a lot of films that aren't necessarily good enough to get in there as rather they have a big enough promotional campaign and that's how they get there so you got films like and uh, the blind side or, or the edu and education which have big studios backing them up and they somehow get them some nominations when there are smaller films that might deserve it more than they do that's a good point all right so as we were talking about when we started off the show the hong kong international film festival is kicking off here in just a couple weeks and there are a whole lot of movies showing and i unfortunately will probably see be seeing none of them because i've got a whole bunch of work that's starting on uh, march 21st which is i, I believe the opening night and that entire week and the weeks that follow, I'm just going to be swamped with work. So I don't know if I'm going to get out to see 
um, any of the films. Most of the films I want to see, though, are going to be showing in general screenings, and, and I kind of prefer to see things in general screenings rather than uh, having to fight the festival crowds. But mm. there are a couple films that I, I think that I would re recommend to people who are going. Um, but, Kevin, I'm interested to hear your recommendations first. What, what do you think, if anybody's in Hong Kong or coming to Hong Kong during this period, what should they try to see? Uh, what's, what's something that you know, would be a, a Kevin recommendation? <laughs> well, I'm not sure about whether it's good or not, but um, Claire Laws Into a Dream um, is one of the two Hong Kong films that don't actually have a set release date yet. Everything else, uh, including opening film Crossing Hennessy, um, Dante Lamb's Fire of Conscience, even uh, Hayward Max X, these all already have um, opening dates or already have a set release date. So if you don't don't bother trying uh, having to line up with the crowd at the cultural center. Just wait to the theaters. Uh, I myself, I'm going to a lot of Western films this year because the Asian choices aren't, um, well, I couldn't fit them in and they aren't as appealing even though I am going to some of them. Um, for example, Avoir Taipei, um, the Thai Taiwanese film that uh, made a huge splash in Berlin a couple of weeks ago, the tickets for that sold out within an hour. So um, I'm sure that that's, going to, that's getting a lot of attention. If you can try and get into that, definitely try to because I'm sure it'll be fun. It's a comedy and it'll be a full house. Um, Apart Together, the um, Chunese film directed by Wan Chunan, uh, it won, I believe, Best Screenplay at Berlin as well. That's playing um, at the festival and I'm going to one of those. Um, a Japanese director named Ishii Yuya, um, who won the first Edward Yang New Talent Award at the Asian Film Awards, he has two films this year, including Sawako Decides, which is the Pia scholarship film. Um, he won that scholarship. Pia is a is an independent film festival in Japan that gives out a scholarship to one filmmaker every year. And Ishiuya won that award the year he also won the New Talent Award. So Sawako Decides is the movie that he made with the scholarship. So that should be interesting. Um, let's see. Also, there's some Chinese um, Chinese films. Um, one thing I guess um, Hong Kong cinema fans might want to look out for is Newsmakers, uh, the Russian remake of, of Johnny Toe's Breaking News. I'm going to see that one as well. Uh, also, this year, there is a retrospective uh, on Hong Kong director Long Kong. So he will, they will be showing uh, films such as the original version of uh, A Better Tomorrow, which is uh, the story of a discharged prisoner, uh, Teddy Girls, which is uh, quite a funny sort of... Um, Unintentionally funny girls in trouble movie from the seventies, uh, from the sixties. Sorry, from nineteen sixty nine. That is actually quite good until even even the the very very last scene, which is very very campy. Um, also, I've been told yesterday, today, and tomorrow is quite good by our friend um, Tim Youngs, who has been on the show before. And of course, anyone who hasn't watched Patrick Tam's Love Massacre, which is uh, out of print by now, I believe the VCD can also catch a new print, even though it is somewhat censored. Um, and it just, it just goes on and on. They're showing, I think, 300 movies within two weeks. So it just, it just, it, the, the, the choices are endless. Uh, so um, go to hkiff.org.hk and uh, check it out and let us know if you're going to be in town. Yeah, and you said before we were talking earlier, uh, you've already gotten like 30, 32 tickets. Yeah, so you're that's uh, like ten percent of the films they're showing. That's a that's a pretty hefty number there, sir. Yeah, and well, originally I had about forty films, um, not including the Long Kong film. So right now I'm watching. I'm going to be watching about forty films, 
from a original list of 50. <laughs> so uh, that's young and unemployed. Uh, hopefully that's <laughs> going to change very, very soon. Yes, hopefully. Um, yes. Well, I, I'm, I'm very keen to see most of the Hong Kong releases, but as we said, I'll probably be seeing them in general release at some point rather than uh, trying to catch them during the festival. There is mm -hmm. one film that I would recommend to people who are fans of anime or fans of just crazy cinema in general, and that is the Japanese film Yatterman by uh, Takeshi Miike. And I, I got a chance to see this on a plane uh, during one of my intercontinental flights, and I loved it. This is It's very much tongue-in-cheek style. Um, it's following the Yatterman anime series, which was originally shown in the 70s, and I think they've got a remake version of it um, that, that's playing a more, or more recent version. But he, he's... He's not only trying to capture live-action anime in terms of a feel and a look, but he's also making fun of it in some points. And it's just, if you're somebody who appreciates anime, and it, you, you really have to like the, the kind of tongue-in-cheek humor that's going on here. It's really very much the same as um, Cutie Honey, the live-action version of Cutie Honey. If that kind of craziness and zaniness appeals to you, I think you'll really enjoy Outer Man. And it would be the one thing I would recommend and it's the one film that i would like to actually go and see because um apparently there's not an english uh subtitled dvd available um there's a japanese dvd available that you can get through some japanese suppliers but there's no subtitles and japanese dvds tend to be quite expensive so i'm holding out i'm hoping that this film does well in the festival circuit and it prompts promoters and distributors to actually release an international version at some point in the future Anyone looking to see that film can see me at um, Hong Kong Cultural Center uh, on Sunday the fourth at six p.m. So, Paul, you would like to join me? You could. Yeah, I, I, from what I've heard, though, the tickets are are filling up pretty fast. I don't know if it's sold out or not yet, um, but I've got to check my schedule, and I don't know if I'm going to make it out. I've just got a lot on my plate, and there's a. I'm going to try and see the the Hong Kong stuff that's coming out in general release. So. Gonna be, eh, it's just gonna have to wait and see because I have seen it. I I do want to see it again in sort of a theatrical setting. I just don't know if I'm gonna be able to make it on that day. Time to move on and talk about our East Screen films, films for this week. We've got two films to look at. Uh, the first film coming from Jackie Chan. This is a co-produced Hong Kong and mainland production, and it's called Little Big Soldier. Kevin, can you give us a bit of a synopsis of Little Big Soldier? Um, sure, I'll try. I mean, if you remember, I kind of fell asleep <laughs> in the middle there. 
But yeah, I'll try my best. Um, Little Big Soldier is the latest Jackie Chan production, and Jackie Chan production means he came up with the story, he produced it, he's starring in it. I'm pretty sure he also directed the action. Um, of course, it stars Jackie Chan uh, as a soldier for during the Warring States period, and uh, after a particularly bloody battle, he becomes the only survivor because he fakes his own death. So he stands, he wakes up thinking he's the only one alive when he encounters a general uh, uh, fighting for the other side, played by Taiwanese American pop star Lee Hong Wang. So he believes that if he captures a general and bring him back to his to his uh, nation, he will get a big reward in the form of, I think, five acres of land. So off they go into a road trip. And um and along the way they they encounter some barbarians I believe a wild boar and also they have um the fam uh, the 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 royalty of um of the general's nation after him as well. Um, so what do you think about the film, Paul? I mean, I, I like I said, I I wasn't conscious for yeah, for was, a portion of the film. I was so. elbowing you a couple times there in the beginning. Um, yeah. I I really liked it. I I was very surprised. Um, this film did not get a lot of publicity and push in Hong Kong, which really surprised me. Uh, being a Jackie Chan film and being the fact that his, you know, his studio office is right over there in uh, Kowloon Tong, yeah. uh, I would have expected to see a lot more. I did, you know, in all the films we've been seeing, um, you know, the New Year's films and everything in the past weeks, we've been going, you know, to double features and we've been going to films on consecutive days, and I haven't seen a single trailer for this film. Um, I, I, I've heard that they're out there. I've heard other people have seen them, but I haven't seen any. And to me, that's usually a gauge of how well, you know, the film's being promoted. All I've seen is a couple big posters in places. And I was surprised, you know, I was surprised. And from what I looked at when I was looking at, I was looking at booking tickets today for um, Alice in Wonderland for the coming weekend. And I saw that um, today is the last day that it's playing in the AMC circuit, at least. And that surprised me because it's only gotten like a week of play, you mm -hmm. know, and I'm thinking, you know, this is Jackie Chan, one of Hong Kong's favorite sons. Um, what's going on here? So I, I guess the film's not doing all that well or it's not pulling people in, but it was a really good film. I mean, you know, this coming from somebody who has seen a decline in Jackie Chan films, you know, in the post-millennium period, you know, Rush Hour 3, you know, was just terrible in that, you know. I was not a big fan of Shanghai Nights 2 and, you know, the the Robbie Hood. I mean, we've, we've talked about um, some of the problems that, you know, that has in terms of catering to Chinese narrative standards. But this was, I thought it was a really solid story. I was really surprised. I shouldn't say surprised because he did kind of do this in Police Story too. But what I see here is I see Jackie Chan starting to take on a more mature role as sort of a mentor and allowing younger actors to you know kind of show their wares a little bit and take center stage and so while the film is still kind of centered around jackie chan's character what what i'm starting to see is i'm starting to see him become more like the older master character that you know he used to have to learn from in his very early days you know doing like the original mm -hmm. drunken master and things like that and i think that that's a really good thing for him to kind of, a, a, a role for him to move into, move away from sort of the younger energetic roles that he's always, always, you know, taken upon himself, the nice guy roles, as it were. His character here 
is a simple guy, but he's not necessarily a nice guy. I think that really works well in the film. Um, his chemistry with with Lee Hom, I think, was was really good, and the two of them playing off each other uh, worked well. It, it's basically, you know, it's basically ends up being sort of a a hostage situation. And a couple times, you know, they you've seen films where people get like stuck together and have to work together. Um, that kind of a narrative starts to play out. Uh, you do have this sort of this subplot, as you mentioned, of the imperial family from the Wei Kingdom, which is where the Lee Hom's character comes from, sort of chasing after them. And uh, Jackie comes from the Liang Kingdom. Um, and But ultimately, he is just a guy who's looking to get enough money to have five acres of farmland. So he's he just wants to be a simple farmer, but he's, a, you know, he's clever. He's been around, and he, he knows how to survive. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I was really surprised that this film for me worked as well as it did because I was not really expecting it to be a good film. Yeah. Um, coming from someone who has watched the trailer and been, been sort of conscious of all the promotion material, I think part of the thing is that it just looks, the look itself is really unappealing. It has a very dirty look and, you know, it's understandable because it's a road trip film and, and they do go through a lot of mud and, and, and that's the look that they transported onto the posters. And it's almost impossible to make this film Look sellable unless, and and the act and the and the trailer, uh, which is something that I'm both glad and not so glad about, is that they hit a lot of the best stuff. That there wasn't anything appeal appealing to watch in the trailer. It was so it cut so quickly that you didn't even get an idea of the action that would be in the film. And there is is quite a bit of good action in the film. And honestly, to to be to be to be honest, I I didn't fall asleep because because the movie was boring or anything. It was actually quite engaging and it was a lot of fun. And like you said, it is really is the most fun I had in a Jackie Chan film in years. I mean, the first Jackie Chan film I watched when I came back to Hong Kong was Rush Hour Three, and it was uh, consistently downhill from there. So it was really good to see something that 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 actually a Jackie Chan film in theater that was actually good. Yeah. Any thoughts on why you think it's not doing well in Hong Kong? Well, like I said, it's just the, the look. Well, one, Jackie Chan doesn't have a very good reputation here just from the things he's said in public public, and and his, his previous misdeed. Uh, maybe as a plural, I'm not sure. But uh, also, again, the film, the look of the film, uh, again, uh, not very not very good looking. And I don't know, I'm not sure because it is being represented by uh, Emperor Films. Uh, it's been, it's, its distribution is connected to one of the theater chains here. So, yeah, I think, the the appeal of Jackie Chan might might just be over or yeah. might be ending very quickly. Yeah, it's interesting too because although there is quite there is quite a, a strong mainland presence um, among some of the the smaller actors, you do see some, you know, some of uh, Jackie Chan's troupe in there. I Ken Lo has a has a small role. Um, there was were there other people that you recognized? Um. No, um, not the usual Jackie Chan players. And you're right. I think it's the mainland, uh, the mainland Chinese feel of the film as well. I mean, this is the first, I think this is the first Jackie Chan film, at least at least made in, in this area in a long time, that's only in Mandarin. It doesn't look like the money's on screen, but I'm sure it, they, they spent a lot of money on it. It's Jackie Chan's own production company, and, and Jackie Chan himself, I'm sure, costs a lot. And, and um, shooting in the wild and some of the, some of the effects they use are kind of subtle, but it's definitely not a low-budget film, but it doesn't look like it in terms of Jackie Chan standards, I'm sure. Not like New Police Story, where they run a bus down, down a street or anything. Yeah, this is, this is a di- totally different category. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, but this is definitely a more directed, director-oriented work. The director here is uh, Ding Xing, who wrote, or he who directed uh, The Underdog Knight, which I've been told is actually quite a good film. So uh, it's good to see, um, even though Jackie Chan was in, was in name, so in charge of production, it really seems like um, a director actually did put sort of his 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 I guess his work on the screen and it just happens to have Jackie Chan in it. I think I think the one thing that I was um both surprised about was was that there wasn't really an you, you didn't have this very strong nationalistic message um that we've seen in a lot of other mainland China films. Um the the, the message at the end was was much more sort of simple. This is taking place in terms of time periods for you historians. This is a film that takes place prior to the first emperor, uh, the the Qin Dynasty, uh, sort of coming to power. So when when China before China was unified, you had all these little nation states, two of them being the Wei Kingdom and the Liang Kingdom. So there is a little bit of a, sort of a narrative setup in the beginning, and then at the end to sort of fill you in on you know ultimately where where, where things were before this little film starts and where things are by the end. I wasn't really happy with the ending, I'll say. Um, that's mm-hmm. the one thing that sort of, uh, if, there's, if there was a bad spot in, for me in the film, it was, it was the, the way the, um, the ending of the film. Uh, I would have liked to have seen something different. But, you know, that's just a personal choice. That's not really a reflection on the quality of the film at all. Yeah, the ending, I don't want to ruin it, but the very, very, very end uh, sort of reminded me of Hero. I don't know about you. I had this. I was problem with the ending of Hero, and and that same thing kind of happens here. And and I'm a little disturbed, even though there's no, no explicit nationalism message. Um, there is that kind of implication. Mm. I think suggested by the very end. I'm not sure you remember which one. What I mean here. It didn't really. Um, that didn't really come across as strongly for me. Um, mm. but perhaps because I mean, Hero was very in your in your face about it, whereas this film is not. True, true, true. But yeah, yeah. if you, my, I would say definitely, if you're a Jackie Chan fan, definitely try and see this film at some point because um, it is sort of a return to form for him. All right, and our next film, uh, coming on the tail end of the Chinese New Year for Chinese New Year films, is the film Here Comes Fortune. And I'm <laughs> going to give Kevin the honor of telling us all about this film. Oh, boy. <laughs> um... Here we go. Okay, Here Comes Fortune is the latest film by writer-director James Yuan. Um, James Yuan has directed such quality and I actually mean respectable films such as Crazy in the City and I believe Heavenly uh, Mission. I didn't see the film, um, but I hear it's not a very bad film. Have you seen Heavenly Mission, Paul? I don't think I have, no. There's the Yi Chan. Yeah, uh, no, I haven't seen that one. Yeah. Okay, but James Yuan is actually quite well-known in Hong Kong. First as a, as a screenwriter for a lot of the H, H, uh, UFO films, and now he's became a director these couple of years. And um, this is his New Year film. Um, it is also um, produced and shot by a famous cinematographer, Arthur Wong. So I have no idea what they were smoking or what kind of guns was held to their head because what came out definitely did not, was not quality. Um, Here Comes Fortune stars Alan Tam as the Fortune King, and I guess we should have known better once we heard Alan Tam was attached. Um, 
so he's the fortune king is in the heavens and it's about that time he sees that um the world is in a bad state and he sends out his little fortune disciple kings uh off to the world to spread some joy and prosperity um so three three of them or two two of them are lum ji chong uh the plumpy um 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 light lightweight uh Qigong guy from uh Shaolin Soccer and the other one is Kitty Zhang who quite was quite good in jump and was actually not too bad here. Uh so the film is split into three parts. The first part is uh Lum Chi Chong goes to um uh, I believe to spread fortune onto a woman. Honestly I don't remember much of the plot. But anyway, so to to spread fortune on this woman, she he he somehow uh turns into a little girl and and is taken in by this kind woman and and of course hilarity ensues because he's 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 actually in a little girl's body and all these things happen. But anyway, so um and then part two with uh Kitty Jung um goes to help a blind pianist played by Chen Jun. Um and 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 she feels really sorry for him because he's getting bullied by his cousin and of course he's blind and he's not doing and 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 also the fortune king orders her to give him only one dollar so feeling sorry for him uh she slowly also falls in love with him now part three um is the like it be the most hong kong part of the film it it's alan tam as the, the fortune king getting involved on his own to help this um Bad, uh, luckless woman played by Miriam Yeun, who's who does everything but is never appreciated, and she's also in love with her CEO. Um, so she he does all he can do to help her find luck. Uh, I'm a little tired to talk about this film already, Paul. So, what do you think <laughs> about the film? Well, yeah, it's 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 a short little anthology piece with three different stories. Um, I, I if you're really interested to see some of the film, I've posted the trailer. Over on our website, uh, you can get there by going directly to www.concast.com to take a look. Um, as one of our commenters uh, has, po- has mentioned already, um, he said that, yeah, the, the subtitling in that are, are re- is really atrocious just from the, the trailer. And th- that, keep, that holds true in the cinema as well. The subtitling was, was pretty bad. And I'll mention one of the subtitles that we came across uh, in just a moment. So it's an anthology film. You've got these three stories, none of which are really that engaging, unfortunately. As Kevin mentioned, the film starts off. Um, it's Alan Tam's character is the fortune king. Basically, he's the god of fortune. So for those of you who understand a little bit about Chinese mythology, you've got the god of fortune, the god of longevity, and the god of prosperity, I think. I'm not sure, but the three, three of the famous deities um, who are revered at certain times of the year. So God of Fortune is uh, sort of a New Year's deity who's supposed to bring wealth. And with the financial tsunami and everything going going badly in the banking business, um, Alan Tam's character decides, yeah, we've got to, I've got to send my little fortune disciples down to help three people out, you know, and that's going to stimulate the economy. Um, I think he needs to talk to, like, Obama or some of the people over at the Fed, you know, maybe Ben Bernanke, I don't know, but... Um, <laughs> He's yeah. So he sends um, Lam Chi Chung, Kitty Zhang, and himself. Uh, he he goes down personally because you know you want something done right, you got to do it yourself. 
Well, also, he opens a flower shop in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, and starts giving out yeah, cash. Yeah, yeah. He has, has, yeah. has a lucky draw, and he's giving out <laughs> free flats and things. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, the first story focuses with Lam Chi Chung. You know, it's basically sort of a comedy of errors because he's playing this little girl. Um, the, 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 the sound is a bit weird because at some points they're speaking, they're speaking Mandarin. Um, some, sometimes they're speaking Cantonese. Sometimes we're not sure. Um, so it, it kind of bounces around because the stories take place, uh, the one story is taking place somewhere in mainland China. Um, was that Shanghai, that first story? Uh, I believe the first part is Shenyang. I believe it's the birthplace of, uh, of our great Chairman Mao. Yeah. Because it had the, the, it had the yeah. big, it had, that was the one with the big, the big coin, statue. The big the, coin yeah. building, right? Uh, the big coin building, I yeah, yeah, yeah. Shenyang yeah. is a big coin building. Also, of course, the ending features the big Chairman Mao statue. Yeah, the big uh, Chairman Mao statue. Yeah, so, so for some reason, they decided that in this film, architecture was going to play a big point. And so at certain points, the the fortune gods, um, they draw power from heaven, but the power is, re- is, is directed first through these magical buildings before it, it's ultimately directed over to the fortune gods. They have these little magic coins. It's really just kind of... Weird. We were just kind of sitting there in the theater with our mouths open, going, "What? What? What does that mean?" <laughs> um, it's utterly stupid because Alan Tamis is spreading all this wealth to these office buildings at night, yeah, when no one is art in artist buildings. Yeah. I mean, okay, so the guy working overtime with a janitor might get a little bit of fortune, but <laughs> it's there's no point. Yeah, it's it, it's just it's just kind of strange, and it's, it, it tries to be funny, and and some in some cases there are there's there are a few humorous jokes in places but for the most part the stories don't really work that well you're not really too sure why giving all this money to these three select individuals is going to help the overall prosperity of the world um so you know at that level the, the stories are a bit nonsensical but as we've talked about before it's a new year's film so stories aren't supposed to make that much sense it's basically you know everything turns out happy in the end which is you know, sort of the case here. So in the first story, it's a very poor teacher and she's supposed to be given, you know, so many, like a million dollars or something. Uh, in the second story, it, it's about ultimately restoring restoring the, this musician's uh, eyesight back to him. And in order to do so, you have to give up, you know, he has to give up his memory so you can't, he can't be in love with you kind of thing. And, and then the final story is another memory story because Alan Tam, he's the fortune king, he's going to help Miriam Young, uh, but he loses his memory and his powers get all, you know, you know, messed up. And so it becomes sort of another comedy of errors type of situation. Um, but ultimately everything works out. Everybody's happy. There's a big song and dance number and, you know, going to have In Mandarin. Yeah. In Mandarin. Um, <clears throat> well, the one thing that's surprising is you've got a number of, you know, pretty well-known people here making cameos you've got um Wu Ma, who's up in heaven is the the martial god i think and richard N, was it yeah was the he was another one of the gods and they're just on for like a few moments i think ella was it ella ku was there yeah ella ku uh um, vincent cock yeah vincent cock uh, yeah so you have quite a quite a number of um quite a strong presence for hong kong actors and interspersed with some mainland actors and uh, even Chang Pei Pei, and um, the guy she, who's the guy she Kenneth Zhang. Yeah, Kenneth Zhang. Who they're very famous locally in Hong Kong for doing this, this like arthritis commercial where they dance <laughs> together. 
and they got them to play like this couple in the second in the second sequence with Kitty Zhang, um, this couple across the street, and it's just copying the old Bewitched scenario where the old the the older woman looks across and sees Kitty Zhang's character doing all this magic, and she's trying to tell her husband. Her husband thinks she's going crazy, and um, I'm just sitting there watching, going, "This is Bewitched. This is Bewitched." <laughs> um, <coughs> So yeah, it's just it, it it's simple stuff like that that's being pulled out for laughs. None of it really works. Um I I would agree that probably the best story is the third story even though I really like Miriam Young and I wanted to like the last story. It just it, it wasn't working for me um on a whole lot of levels and it's just it, not, None not of nothing was working. Even Chen Chen Zheng, who, who's trying to play the blind guy, he's not even trying to to be blind. Yeah, he was just kind of phoning in the blindness. We we all everyone yeah we all everyone came to that conclusion fun. that he didn't he didn't actually, you know, usually if you're playing a serious role, somebody who's got you know a disorder or something, um, sort of like Sean Penn from I Am Sam, you'll go and you'll spend time with people who've you know who have that problem and get to know their actions and and their motions and their movements we came to the conclusion by the end of the second segment that he never spent a single moment with a blind person because <laughs> he was not even you know he was just he just was not even trying yeah, he was picking up chopsticks yeah. and getting food and he was running outdoors and it's just, yeah. yeah it was not not good it was a funny experience but not funny for the reasons that it should have been funny you you were talking about the new New Year films, and we're wondering which one is going to be worse. And then all our questions were answered by last yeah. by last Friday when we watched this film. Saved the worst for last in this case. There you go. This is East Screen West Screen with Paul and Kevin, where if films were food, they'd be full of it. All right, it's time to move on to our West Screen film for this week, and that is the 2009 film just now being released in Hong Kong. Up in the Air, directed by Jason Reitman, that director who did Juno, starring George Clooney, Anna Kendrick, and Vera Farmiga, if I'm saying that correctly. Last year, I spent 322 days on the road. I flew 350,000 miles. The moon is 250. All the things you probably hate about traveling are warm reminders that I am home. Welcome back, Mr. Bingham. I am a passenger. I work for a company that lends me out to cowards that don't have the courage to sack their own employees, and for good reason. Who are you, man? Because people do crazy stuff when they get fired. I'm gonna need your key card. We received a dynamite young woman from Cornell, Natalie Keener. I want you to show her the ropes. I'm not a tour guide. This is the boat, this is you. You wanna be in the boat? Yeah, alone. Show her the magic, take her through the paces. What? Follow me. Never get behind old people. Their bodies are littered with hidden metal, and they never seem to appreciate how little time they have left. Bingo. Asians. They pack light, travel efficiently, and they got a thing for slip-on shoes. God love them. That's racist. I'm like my mother. I stereotype. It's faster. You gotta fill me in on the miles thing. What is that about? I plan on grabbing as many miles as I can. What's your total? Is it this big? Uh, this big? I don't want to brag. This is pretty sexy. We're two people who get turned on by elite status. Good call on that towel rack. Shame we didn't make it to the closet. Mm -hmm. We got to do this again. What kind of relationship do you have? You know that moment when you look into somebody's eyes and you can feel them staring into your soul and the whole world goes quiet? Yes. Right, well, I don't. You're awfully isolated the way you live. Isolated, I'm surrounded. 
Aren't you supposed to be consoling me? I'm a wake-up call. This is a rebirth. You have set up a way of life that basically makes it impossible for you to have any kind of human connection. You're grounded. Everybody's grounded. The point's off the road. We're going home. We believe in everything that you can do. If you think about it, your relationships are the heaviest components in your life. Your husband, your wife, your home. We weigh ourselves down until we can't even move. Make no mistake. Moving is living. I'm not really sure how long this whole exercise is supposed to last. No, I don't even think of him that way. He's old. Up in the Air basically tells the story of a man named Ryan Bingham, who's basically a person who's hired out um, by other companies. Um, that is, the company that he works is, is hired by other companies to send a person in to fire their employees so that the bosses of those companies don't have to do it and feel like jerks. Um, so George Clooney flies from city to city going on these firing assignments. Uh, and he loves his work. Uh, he, loves his, he, he loves his job and being able to travel so frequently. And the film gets into a little bit about you know why he is the way he is um, and that why he is sort of found that created his own universe centered around travel and hotels. And for me, that's the most interesting aspect of the film. Um, in the book, and I think at one point early in the film, this is referred to as Air World, which is basically him moving from hotel to airport to airplane to airport to hotel. And him knowing this world so intimately that he knows the ins and outs. He's got the frequent flyer miles to get in quick and get out quick. And in, the mean, in, in between all of this, he has to go and do these various jobs, which he doesn't seem to really like doing, but he's very good at doing. And he knows that he's good at doing these jobs and there's a purpose for him to do it. And all that is sort of shaken up when a young fresh grad comes to the company, uh, played by Anna Kendrick, um, who her character is called Natalie Keener. Anna Kendrick, you may recognize if you follow the Twilight film series. She plays uh, one of the high school friends, I believe, in Twilight. Um, she comes in as a young, bright college graduate with new ideas about how to revolutionize this business of firing people through the use of new media. Basically, through do doing it remotely, we'll save the company on lots of travel expense, you know, flying these firing correspondents all across the United States to perform their duties. They will simply be able to do it at a desk in front of a computer and the company can save lots of money. Needless to say, this is going to totally upset the balance of Ryan Bingham's world, so he's opposed to it. Uh, and when he raises his opposition, his boss, who's played by uh, Jason Bateman, in somewhat of a role change from him as being sort of the typical nice guy character that he's played in movies like um, um, oh, what was the Hancock I think and as, as you might know from uh, the, the, the TV well, what's the TV series that he's Arrested Development yeah, Arrested Development they're making a film of that um, great series where he, he's sort of like this nice sort of everyman and this time he's playing a bit of a jerk mm -hmm. um, but he you know he, he says okay so he, it's Ryan's job now to sort of take Natalie on the road, show her the ropes so that she can implement this system and understand better how the current system works. 
overall, I really, really enjoyed this film. I think that for me, being somebody who travels, I wouldn't say I travel frequently, but I do travel internationally twice a year. I do sort of understand, you know, the airport things, and I've tried to discipline myself through learning trial and error, what works and what doesn't, to make my travel as expedient and comfortable as possible. So I was very much taken by this concept of the air world. And uh, I, I think a movie has a really big impact on me when it creates a character or creates a sense of a world that makes me, at the end of the movie, want to know more about that. And this film did that. And I, I rushed out and I started looking up the book and actually downloaded the, um, the sample uh, on kind, uh, through, through the Kindle store on Amazon. I got the free sample and it lets you read like the first chapter and a half. And unfortunately, the book... It's the same character, but the way the book describes him is completely different, really, in many ways, from the way that George Clooney and Jace director Jason Reitman construct this character. And so I was a little bit disappointed that the book doesn't seem to have the same take as this, you know, what was created on the film. And as with anything, you know, some people might like the book more. In this case, I really liked this this dynamic that was created in the film. Um, Kevin, what did you what did you think about it? I quite like the film. Um, on second thought, I think it's a little unbalanced. Um, at one point, it's about the current economy and uh, the whole thing about firing people and and yeah, the the the, the sort of conscience that comes with the job like that. And suddenly, it, it switches to a movie about being alone. And and at other points, a movie about traveling. I think the traveling part, the center, the center of the story, the central plot, which is about this guy having to take this rookie on the road. That's my favorite part of the film. Um, the relationship part is still quite well done, but I don't think now, on, in hindsight, I don't think the three, these three things really, really gel together as well as as as, as uh, Jason Reitman would like it to. The aspect about the economy you know, is an interesting point too, because it seemed to me, and I don't know if you got this same sense, that some because at some point it's like they're having interviews with people who've been fired. Mm-hmm. Um, in 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 the show, and some people you see undergoing the firing process by George Clooney, and other times it's just I- interviewing people. And I got the sense that these were not actors. In some cases, I got the sense that yeah. these were real people who had actually been fired, sort of right. venting and letting their feelings out. Yeah, you're right. They are they are they were real people who were fired, and they were told to essentially say what they were they would have said, what they would have liked to say when they gotten fired. Yeah, and I think that, uh, what do you think? Do you think that worked well? I, I really like that aspect of the film. I like the aspect on its own. Like I said, on its own. I like these three things on their own. They were quite well done, but they just, the only problem is that they didn't really gel together as well as, as they wanted to. So it was a little bit too jarring for you, you think? I wouldn't say jarring, but um, it just didn't quite work. Like I, like you talk about the, the, the section of the family, on that section on its own, it was fine, but... I felt that was really when the film stopped in the tracks because you were it was so it was on the move constantly, constantly. It was going city to city, situation to different situation, and suddenly it it stuck on this one place for a long time. So that was when the film really kind of stopped. I know why why they were doing it because they were trying to tra- is time to transform the character, but um, it kind of took it out for me. It wasn't really yeah, it wasn't it did it wasn't as strong as the first hour. I think. Mm-hmm. Well, now let me ask you this. 
Um, as I listened to some other podcasts, I think I was listening to the guys who do the Movielicious podcast podcast when they were talking about this, and they were saying one of one of the one of the hosts was saying that they felt the ending was a bit off, and it wasn't. It's not that they don't that the ending was was bad or ruined the film. They felt it 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 didn't have a conclusion, kind of a thing the way that it ended. And I think that if I remember correctly, he was saying that, you know, that's not a reason to not like the film, that not all films need to have that, but that mm-hmm. they 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 kind of had this sense that they wanted a more solid conclusion. Because there are a couple, you know, one, one of the central things with the Ryan Bingham character is that he's set up this goal for himself. And there's, you get to a point in the film where the goal becomes sort of, you know, a central, a central plot point, a central hook, and then the film moves beyond that, and then you're just kind of left hanging a little bit by the end. I didn't have a real problem with the ending, um, but again, you know, perhaps that's why it gave me this sense of wanting more and and wanting to actually go and and investigate the original novel a little bit. What what were your thoughts about the ending? Actually, I have I had no problem with the ending. Uh, the ending is. It's. I wouldn't say it's open as they would say. I mean, it takes it back. It takes it back to a place. It kind of ends on a downer. Maybe that's some of the people that some some things that people don't like about it. But I thought that it made its point. It made its message. Um, and for me, that was closure enough for me for the story. I didn't think it was a very open ending. Um, that that one of the final images was was quite striking. Um, and. You know, I guess I guess that's what happens when people like like a certain character so much, um, and and you know George Clooney is quite good in the film. I guess one of those things when they like him so much that they kind of wanted either more of him or they want to see a more more concrete or maybe a happier ending. I'm not sure. Yeah, I think yeah. One, that's one of the notes I wrote down is that Clooney's Bingham is a very likable guy in a really terrible job, <clears throat> but he's really good at his job. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, it's. It, I was just very intrigued by his portrayal of that character, and and like I said, I, I went and I tried to give the book a shot, but the way the character is being portrayed in the book is something that's quite different, um, not as appealing to me at least as what I was seeing on the screen. Mm. One thing though about George Clooney is that he still hasn't hasn't um, shed the the shaking head acting. If you if you kind of know as you watch George Clooney over the years, he likes to sort of bob his head when he's talking, mm-hmm. and 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 uh, the word is that Steven Soderbergh got him off it when when he finally worked with him. But then he's going back to it whenever he does that charming leading man thing. He kind of bobs his head hmm. when he talks, and that's something that still that kind of that kind of uh, uh, distracts me because I I've watched him act since ER and. Yeah, it's something that he keeps doing the way he talks. Yeah. But other than that, I mean, his, he's quite good in the film. Like, I said, and he's quite charming, and and it's really nice to see him do his thing. And he's really one of the few, I guess, classical Hollywood actors. You know what I mean? Like, have star, real star presence. You like to watch him in any film. Yeah. And yeah, that's what George Clooney is to me. You watch him, I think, in any role. I haven't seen a role where I don't like him in actually so far. Well, you know the. The the reason why he didn't do any more Batman's was because he couldn't do the head bob in the bat suit. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I guess that, wait, now you mentioned that Batman is the only role I didn't like George Clooney in. Okay. Actually, I didn't mind him as Batman. Yeah. Um, I thought he was okay. I, I preferred him over Val Kilmer. 
Mm-hmm. Um, although, well, he didn't make the Dippo suit work, though. Yeah, well, nobody can make that work, I think. That was just a bad, de- <laughs> bad design decision all around. Another thing to mention, too, is um, Anna Kendrick is, is really good here. Um, she's not given a very big role in the, in the Twilight series, which is unfortunate. And I think, I think I've heard people elsewhere say that, you know, she is just, in terms of what she's doing here, she is hands above uh, Kristen Stewart. Well, Anna Kendrick is good here, but I think she still was playing that very young, young innocent type here. And in a way, I don't think, I don't, I don't see the big challenge at all. I mean, she, I, I'm, not, I'm not saying that she's not good. Uh, she is quite good, but I think I, I still have my reservations about her seeing her in a more adult role first before I can really make a decision about her, her talent as an mm-hmm. actress. But a Vera Flaminga, or is it? Um, I think that's what you say, yeah. Yeah, um, she's quite good in the film. Um, last film I remember seeing her, it was in Departed, playing the um, Kelly Chan, Sammy Chung, Chang role, and she didn't really have much of a presence here, but she's just quite good here. Yeah, yeah, and there, there's a little bit of a gender reversal that's going on in this film that, that I found quite inter- interesting. Um, and it, 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 made the, it made the love story that's being presented... Um, it made me interested in it more than anything else. I thought that it was going to be somewhat typical, and it was not a very typical take. And I, I liked, I liked it. Um, but though I do agree that there were some, there were probably some balance issues. But overall, I'd say very enjoyable film. If you get a chance to see this in theaters, definitely see it. I know it's already been out in the states for a while. I think the DVD is due for release any day now. Um, this would definitely be something that I want to see again. I'll probably pick it up on DVD when it's coming out. So I yeah my recommend give this a very strong recommendation. Yes, I definitely recommend it as well. Come fly with me, let's fly, let's fly away. If you can use some exotic booze, there's a bar in far Bombay. Come on and fly with me. Let's fly, let's fly away Come fly with me, let's float down to Peru In Llama Land there's a one-man band And he'll toot his flute for you Come on, fly with me, let's take off in the blue All right, that's going to wrap things up for this week. We'll be back at some point in the near future, either next week or in two weeks, to talk about uh, Alice in Wonderland, among other things. Uh, anything else on the horizon, Kevin? Um, this week, we have a small film, uh, Crazy Heart. I guess we could talk about that for West Screen as well. East Screen, we will have um, the film adaptation of the hit TV series and comic book, Nodame Cantabile. The, the film adaptation is coming out here this week, and I'll be watching it. Um, with the usual group. Um, also, next week, we'll have Echoes of the Rainbow, the Alex Law, Mabel Churn award-winning film. All right. So that will be it for this week. And hopefully, uh, we'll have some more things to talk about next time, including some new releases on video and DVD, as well as some other segments that I'm working on, uh, slowly but surely. So until next time, we will wish you good viewing. And we will wish you a happy festival, if you happen to be coming to Hong Kong. And we will see you then. See you at the theaters, guys.
and you'll have to refresh my memory to make sure I have this correct, but the subtitle actually goes something like, my estrogen sometimes makes me fancy. I believe it was my, his, he make my estrogen fancy a bit. Yeah, or my estrogen <laughs> or some, sometimes yeah. makes me fancy a bit or something. It's something to do with estrogen. I mean, where are yeah. you going to see, and, and basically it was telling, it was her saying, you know, uh, sometimes she gets a bit crazy. And it was just weird and yeah, it was a disaster. <laughs> oh my god! At least this is one of those movies we can laugh at. I mean, that's perhaps and and intentionally. I, mean, I don't mean intentionally because it's a comedy, so I don't want to make it sound like it's good or anything. Um, 